Welcome to the Philo Sophia podcast. Join our hosts Trevor and Alfredo as they plumb the depths of philosophy, religion, science, and history. Learn with us and laugh with us here on Philo Sophia. Welcome to Philo Sophia. This is Trevor. And for the first or maybe second time, I'm not joined, as always, by my co-host Alfredo. Uh, tonight's just kind of a, a stopgap till Alfredo and I can record again. I'm going to be reading a, a short story. It's a really cool story. It's actually pretty old. It's from the 50s, and it's about artificial intelligence. Yes, a story about AI from the 50s. And it's interesting to see what we were thinking back then. It's not nearly as dark and scary as we talk about AI these days. And in fact, it's kind of the opposite. Shockingly so, sort of. It's uh, more of a savior than a harbinger. So uh, this is called The Last Question by Isaac Asimov. And Alfredo and I will be recording again soon. It's uh, It's been a little while since we posted. We actually recorded recently, but the episode was kind of, I'll just say it was all over the place. <laughs> we, we covered maybe 500 different topics. So I haven't posted it yet. I might try to edit it down and post it. But uh, anyway, till we record again, I'm going to read this eight or nine page story. It's a cold rainy night in Southern California and I had nothing better to do. So you get a short story this week. And uh, I already, so I mentioned it's about AI. It's actually, it's about humanity too. It actually covers many trillions of years of human history. And they're just little one page, four paragraph windows in time. And there's maybe about six or seven of these little snippets. And we're just kind of looking at little human interactions that are occurring over billions of years. And we're watching humanity evolve. And the only real constant in all of these little excerpts is this AI. And its name changes over the eons, but we kind of watch it change and we watch humanity change alongside it. And we see the end of humanity and then we see the rebirth of something, of the universe at least. So we'll start off with a little uh, intro from our author and then we'll jump into each of these little segments and I'll probably add in some little sound to cue you that we're jumping forward in time a million or a billion or a trillion years. Enjoy. The Last Question by Isaac Asimov This is by far my favorite story of all those I have written. After all, I undertook to tell several trillion years of human history in the space of a short story, and I leave it to you as to how well I succeeded. I also undertook another task, but I won't tell you what that was lest I spoil the story for you. It is a curious fact that innumerable readers have asked me if I wrote this story. They seem never to remember the title, or for sure the author, except for the vague thought that it might be me. But of course, they never forget the story itself, especially the ending. The idea seems to drown out everything, and I'm satisfied that it should. 
The last question was asked for the first time, half in jest, on May 21st, 2061, at a time when humanity first stepped into the light. The question came about as a result of a $5 bet over highballs, and it happened this way. Alexander Adele and Bertram Lepov were two of the faithful attendants of Multivac. As well as any human beings could, they knew what lay behind the cold, clicking, flashing face, miles and miles of face, of that giant computer. They had at least a vague notion of the general plan of relays and circuits that had long since grown past the point where any single human could possibly have a firm grasp of the whole. Multivac was self-adjusting and self-correcting. It had to be, for nothing human could adjust and correct it quickly enough or even adequately enough. So Adele and Lepov attended the monstrous giant only lightly and superficially, yet as well as any men could. They fed it data, adjusted questions to its needs, and translated the answers that were issued. Certainly they, and all others like them, were fully entitled to share in the glory that was Multivac. For decades, Multivac had helped design the ships and plot the trajectories that enabled man to reach the moon, Mars, and Venus. But past that, Earth's poor resources could not support the ships. Too much energy was needed for the long trips. Earth exploited its coal and uranium with increasing efficiency, but there was only so much of both. Slowly, Multivac learned enough to answer deeper questions, more fundamentally, and on May 14, 2061, what had been theory became fact. The energy of the sun was stored, converted, and utilized directly on a planet-wide scale. All Earth turned off its burning coal, its fissioning uranium, and flipped the switch that connected all of it to a small station, one mile in diameter, circling the Earth at half the distance of the moon. All Earth ran by invisible beams of sun power. Seven days had not sufficed to dim the glory of it, and Adele and Lepov finally managed to escape from the public functions, and to meet in quiet where no one would think of looking for them, in the deserted underground chambers, where portions of the mighty buried body of Multivac showed. Unattended, idling, sorting data with contented lazy clickings, Multivac too had earned its vacation, and the boys appreciated that. They had no intention originally of disturbing it, they had brought a bottle with them, and their only concern at the moment was to relax in the company of each other and the bottle. It's amazing when you think of it, said Adele. His broad face had lines of wariness in it, and he stirred his drink slowly with the glass rod, watching the cubes of ice slur clumsily about. All the energy we could possibly ever use for free. Enough energy, if we wanted to draw on it, to melt the earth into a big drop of impure liquid iron, and still never miss the energy all the energy we could ever use, forever and forever and forever. Lepov cocked his head sideways. He had a trick of doing that when he wanted to be contrary, and he wanted to be contrary now, partly because he had to carry the ice and glassware. Not forever, he said. Oh, hell, just about forever, till the sun runs down, Bert. That's not forever. All right, then. Billions and billions of years. Ten billion, maybe. Are you satisfied? Lepov put his fingers through his thinning hair as though to reassure himself that some was still left and sipped gently at his own drink. Ten billion years isn't forever. Well, it will last her lifetime, won't it? So would the coal and uranium. 
All right, but now we can hook up each individual spaceship to the solar station, and it can go to Pluto and back a million times without ever worrying about fuel. You can't do that on coal and uranium. Ask Multivac if you don't believe me. I don't have to ask Multivac, I know that. Then stop running down what Multivac's done for us, said Adele, blazing up. It did all right. Who says it didn't? What I say is that a sun won't last forever. That's all I'm saying. We're safe for 10 billion years, but then what? Lepau pointed a slightly shaky finger at the other. And don't say we'll switch to another sun. There was silence for a while. Adele put his glass to his lips only occasionally, and Lepau's eyes slowly closed. They rested. Then Lepau's eyes snapped open. You're thinking we'll switch to another sun when ours is done, aren't you? I'm not thinking that. Sure you are. You're weak on logic. That's the trouble with you. You're like the guy in the story who was caught in a sudden shower and ran to a grove of trees and got under one. He wasn't worried, you see, because he figured when one tree got wet enough, he would just get under another tree. I get it, said Adele. Don't shout. When the sun is done, the other stars will be gone too. Darn right they will, muttered Lepov. It all had a beginning in the original cosmic explosion, whatever that was, and it will all have an end when the stars run down. Some run down faster than others. Hell, the giants won't last 100 million years. The sun will last 10 billion years, and maybe the dwarfs will last 200 billion for all the good they are. But just give us a trillion years and everything will be dark. Entropy has to increase to maximum. That's all. I know all about entropy, said Adele, standing on his dignity. The hell you do. I know as much as you. Then you know everything's got to run down someday. All right, who says it won't? You did you poor sap. You said we had all the energy we needed, forever. You said forever. It was Adele's turn to be contrary. Maybe we can build things up again someday, he said. Never. Why not? Someday. Never. Ask Multivac. You ask Multivac. I dare you. Five dollars says it can't be done. Adele was just drunk enough to try, just sober enough to be able to phrase the necessary symbols and operations into a question which, in words, might have corresponded to this. Will mankind one day, without the net expenditure of energy, be able to restore the sun to its full youthfulness, even after it had died of old age? Or maybe it could be put more simply, like this. How can the net amount of entropy of the universe be massively decreased? Multivac fell dead and silent. The slow flashing of light ceased. The distant sounds of clicking relays ended. Then, just as the frightened technicians felt they could hold their breath no longer, there was a sudden springing to life of the teletype attached to that portion of the multivac. Five words were printed. Insufficient data for meaningful answer. No bet, whispered Lepov. They left hurriedly. By next morning, the two, plagued with throbbing head and cottony mouth, had forgotten the incident. Okay, so that was the first little window into this story. Uh, two guys drinking, arguing in front of a massive AI, which for some reason you can't type into. You have to enter words and symbols, and it prints out. I guess that's what teletype is. It's some kind of printout of the answer. So they have super AI, but they don't have a... They don't have a... <laughs> I, they're still using a printer, I guess. Um, so anyway, some of the wording's kind of clumsy, and my narration's probably not helping. But you kind of get this like first image of humanity venturing out into the cosmos. They, they figure out energy, which happens to, I guess, be space-based solar. 
which is actually something that uh, people are working on now. There's a UK project called, I think it's called Cassiopeia. And they're trying to beam electricity down from solar arrays in space and stuff. So it's it's cool to see these ideas talked about 70 years ago. But anyway, we'll jump forward in time now and we'll meet Jared, Jaredine, and Jaredette 1 and 2 and, uh, and their journey in a spaceship. Here we go. Jared, Jaredine, and Jaredette 1 and 2 watched the starry picture and the visibly change as the passage through hyperspace was completed in its non-time lapse. At once, the even powdering of stars gave way to the predominance of a single bright shining disk the size of a marble centered on the screen. That's X-23, said Jared confidently, his thin hands clamped tightly behind his back and the knuckles widened. The little Jaredettes, both girls, had experienced a hyperspace passage for the first time in their lives and were self-conscious over the momentary sensation of inside-outness. They buried their giggles and chased one another wildly about their mother, screaming, We've reached X-23! We've reached X-23! We've... Quiet, children, said Jaredine sharply. Are you sure, Jared? What is there to be but sure? Asked Jared, glancing up at the bulge of featureless metal just under the ceiling. It ran the length of the room, disappearing through the wall at either end. It was as long as the ship. Jared scarcely knew a thing about the thick rod of metal, except that it was called a microvac. That one asked it questions if one wished, that if one did not, it still had its task of guiding the ship to a pre-order destination, of feeding on energies from the various subgalactic power stations, of computing the equations for the hyperspatial jumps. Jared and his family had only to wait and live in the comfortable residence quarters of the ship. Someone had once told Jared that the AC at the end of Microvac stood for automatic computer in ancient English, but he was on the edge of forgetting even that. Jaredine's eyes were moist as she watched the visiplate. I can't help it. I feel funny about leaving Earth. Why? For Pete's sake, demanded Jared. We had nothing there. We'll have everything on X-23. You won't be alone. You won't be a pioneer. There are over a million people on the planet already. Good Lord, our great-grandchildren will be looking for new worlds because X-23 will be overcrowded. Then, after a reflective pause, I tell you, it's a lucky thing the computers worked out interstellar travel the way the race is going. I know, I know, said Jaredine miserably. Jared at once said promptly, Our microvac is the best microvac in the world. I think so too, said Jared, tousling her hair. It was a nice feeling to have a microvac of your own, and Jared was glad he was a part of his generation and no other. In his father's youth, the only computers had been tremendous machines, taking up a hundred square miles of land. There was only one to a planet, planetary ACs, they were called. They had been growing in size steadily for a thousand years, and then all at once came refinement. In place of transistors had come molecular valves, so that even the largest planetary AC could be put into a space only half the volume of a spaceship. Jared felt uplifted, as he always did when he thought that his own personal microvac was many times more complicated than the ancient and primitive multivac that had first tamed the sun and almost as complicated as Earth's planetary AC, the largest, that had first solved the problem of hyperspatial travel and had made trips to the stars possible. So many stars, so many planets, sighed Jaredine, busy with her own thoughts. I suppose families will be going out to new planets forever, the way we are now. Not forever, said Jared, with a smile. It will all stop someday, but not for billions of years, many billions. 
Even the stars run down, you know. Entropy must increase. What's entropy? shrilled Jaredette too. Entropy, little sweet, is just a word which means the amount of running down of the universe. Everything runs down, you know, like your little walkie-talkie robot, remember? Can't you just put in a new power unit, like with my robot? The stars are the power units, dear. Once they're gone, there are no more power units. Jared at one at once set up a howl. Don't let them, Dad. Don't let the stars run down. Now look what you've done, whispered Jaredine, exasperated. How was I to know it would frighten them? Jared whispered back. Ask the microvac, wailed Jared at one. Ask him how to turn the stars on again. Go ahead, said Jaredine. It will quiet them down. Jared at two was beginning to cry also. Jared shrugged. Now, now, honeys, I'll ask Microvac. Don't worry, he'll tell us. He asked the Microvac, adding quickly, print the answer. Jared cupped the strip of thin cellufilm and said cheerfully, See now, the Microvac says it will take care of everything when the time comes, so don't worry. Jaredine said, And now, children, it's time for bed. We'll be in our new home soon. Jared read the words on the cellufilm again before destroying it. Insufficient data for meaningful answer. He shrugged and looked at the visit plate. X-23 was just ahead. All right, so there's number two. We are, uh, we're, we're kind of an audience to a billion years in the future road trip with the, the husband and wife and the kids in the background, and they're going to a new world called X-23. They've left Earth. Earth. And the kids want to know, you know, how are they going to fix the problem of the eventual death of the universe as entropy reaches its maximum? And he asks the computer, but he says, print the answer instead of saying it out loud. And, uh, and he lies. He says, this is, everything's going to be okay. And now we're going to jump again into the future and things are going to get more and more odd. And this, in this last one, everything still is recognizable. We got the spaceship, we've got the sort of like a super Alexa in the spaceship. We have the ability to print things out. <laughs> and uh, now we're now we're jumping forward in future again. And everybody's names start getting more complicated, so bear with me. VJ23X of Lameth stared into the black depths of the three-dimensional small-scale map of the galaxy and said... Are we ridiculous? I wonder in being so concerned about the matter. MQ-17J of Nikron shook his head. I think not. You know the galaxy will be filled in five years at the present rate of expansion. Both seemed in their early 20s. Both were tall and perfectly formed. Still, said VJ-23X, I hesitate to submit a pessimistic report to the Galactic Council. I wouldn't consider any other kind of report. Stir them up a bit. We've got to stir them up. VJ23X side. Space is infinite. A hundred billion galaxies are there for the taking. More. A hundred billion is not infinite, and it's getting less infinite all the time. Consider, 20,000 years ago, mankind first solved the problem of utilizing stellar energy. A few centuries later, interstellar travel became possible. It took mankind a million years to fill one small world, and then only 15,000 to fill the rest of the galaxy. Now the population doubles every 10 years. VJ23X interrupted. We can thank immortality for that. Very well. Immortality exists, and we have to take it into account. 
I admit it has its seamy side, this immortality. The galactic AC has solved many problems for us, but in solving the problem of preventing old age and death, it has undone all its other solutions. Yet you wouldn't want to abandon your life, I suppose. Not at all, snapped MQ-17J, softening that once too. Not yet. I'm by no means old enough. How old are you? 223. And you? I'm still under 200. But to get back to my point, population doubles every 10 years. Once this galaxy is filled, we'll have filled another in 10 years after that. Another 10 years and we'll have filled two more. Another decade, four more. In 100 years, we'll have filled a thousand galaxies. In a thousand years, a million galaxies. In 10,000 years, the entire known universe. Then what? Then what? VJ23X said, as a side issue, there's a problem of transportation. I wonder how many sun power units it will take to move galaxies of individuals from one galaxy to the next. A very good point. Already, mankind consumes two sun power units per year. Most of it's wasted. After all, our own galaxy alone pours out a thousand sun power units a year, and we only use two of those. Granted, but even with 100% efficiency, we only stave off the end. Our energy requirements are going up in a geometric progression even faster than our population. We'll run out of energy even sooner than we run out of galaxies. A good point. A very good point. We'll just have to build new stars out of interstellar gas. Or out of dissipated heat? Asked MQ-17J sarcastically. There may be some way to reverse entropy. We ought to ask Galactic AC. VJ23X was not really serious, but MQ-17J pulled out his AC contact from his pocket and placed it on the table before him. I've half a mind to, he said. It's something the human race will have to face someday. He stared somberly at his small AC contact. It was only two inches cubed and nothing in itself, but it was connected through hyperspace with the great galactic AC that served all mankind. Hyperspace considered, it was an integral part of the galactic AC. MQ-17J paused to wonder if someday in his immortal life he would get to see the galactic AC. It was on a little world of its own, a spider webbing of force beams holding the matter within which surges of submissons took the place of the old clumsy molecular valves. Yet despite its sub-etheric workings, the galactic AC was known to be a full thousand feet across. MQ-17J asked suddenly of his AC contact, can entropy be reversed? VJ23X looked startled and said at once, Oh, hey, I didn't really mean to have you ask that. Why not? We both know entropy can't be reversed. You can't turn smoke and ash back into a tree. Do you have trees on your world? Asked MQ17J. The sound of the galactic AC startled them into silence. Its voice came thin and beautiful out of the small AC contact on the desk. It said, There is insufficient data for a meaningful answer. VJ23X said, See? The two men thereupon returned to the question of the report they were to make to the Galactic Council. Okay, so now we're really starting to use our imagination. We have these immortal beings worried that they're going to fill up the whole universe. It all seems pretty far-fetched. And I think it's funny that it only took a trillion years for us to get our first cell phone or a billion years. I don't really, I sort of lost track of the time, but uh, this is the, the kind of the first reference in the story to like a handheld device instead of a uh, like voice recognition. Um, so anyway, kind of funny. Uh, so we have two more little excerpts and then kind of the 
the dramatic conclusion. Z Prime's mind spanned the new galaxy with a faint interest in the countless twists of stars that powdered it. He had never seen this one before. Would he ever see them all? So many of them, each with its load of humanity, but a load that was almost a dead weight. More and more, the real essence of men was to be found out here, in space. Minds, not bodies. The immortal bodies remained back on the planets, in suspension over the eons. Sometimes they roused for material activity, but that was growing rare. Few new individuals were coming into existence to join the incredibly mighty throng. But what matter? There was little room in the universe for new individuals. Z Prime was roused out of his reverie upon coming across the wispy tendrils of another mind. I am Z Prime, said Z Prime. And you? I am D Sub 1. Your galaxy? We call it only the galaxy. And you? We call ours the same. All men call their galaxy their galaxy and nothing more. Why not? True, since all galaxies are the same. Not all galaxies. On one particular galaxy, the race of man must have originated. That makes it different. Z-Prime said, on which one? I cannot say. The universal AC would know. Shall we ask him? I'm suddenly curious. Z-Prime's perceptions broadened until the galaxies themselves shrank and became a new, more diffuse powdering on a much larger background. So many hundreds of billions of them, all with their immortal beings, all carrying their load of intelligences with minds that drifted freely through space. And yet one of them was unique among them all in being the original galaxy. One of them had, in its vague and distant past, a period when it was the only galaxy populated by man. Z-Prime was consumed with curiosity to see this galaxy, and he called out, Universal AC, on which galaxy did mankind originate? The Universal AC heard... For in every world and throughout space, it had its receptors ready, and each receptor led through hyperspace to some unknown point where the universal AC kept itself aloof. Z-Prime knew of only one man whose thoughts had penetrated within sensing distance of the universal AC, and he reported only a shining globe two feet across, difficult to see. But how can that be all of universal AC, Z-Prime had asked? Most of it, had been the answer, is in hyperspace. And what form it is there, I cannot imagine. Nor could anyone, for the day had long since passed, Z-Prime knew, when any man had any part of the making of a universal AC. Each universal AC designed and constructed its successor. Each, during its existence of a million years or more, accumulated the necessary data to build a better and more intricate, more capable successor in which its own store of data and individuality would be submerged. The universal AC interrupted Z-Prime's wandering thoughts, not with words, but with guidance. Z-Prime's mentality was guided into the dim sea of galaxies and one in particular enlarged into stars. A thought came, infinitely distant, but infinitely clear. This is the original galaxy of man. But it was the same after all, the same as any other, and Lee Prime stifled his disappointment. D-Sub-1, whose mind had accompanied the other, said suddenly, and is one of these stars the original star of man? The universal AC said, Man's original star has gone nova. It is a white dwarf. Did the men upon it die? S. Lee Prime startled without thinking. The universal AC said, A new world, as in such cases, was constructed for their physical bodies in time. Yeah, of course, said Z Prime. But a sense of loss overwhelmed him even so. His mind released its hold on the original galaxy of man, let it spring back and lose itself among the blurred pinpoints. 
he never wanted to see it again. D sub 1 said, What's wrong? The stars are dying. The original star is dead. They must all die. Why not? But when all energy is gone, our bodies will finally die, and you and I with. It will take billions of years. I do not wish it to happen even after billions of years. Universal AC. How many, star, how many stars be kept from dying? D sub 1 said in amusement, You're asking how entropy might be reversed in direction? And the universal AC answered, There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Z prime's thoughts fled back to his own galaxy. He gave no further thought to D sub 1, whose body might be waiting on a galaxy a trillion light years away or on the star next to Z prime zone. It didn't matter. Unhappily, Z Prime began collecting interstellar hydrogen out of which to build a small star of his own. If the stars must someday die, at least some could yet be built. Alright, so now it's getting real weird, very trans transhumanist. Uh, they've kind of humans have sort of transcended their consciousness is sort of ethereal and in the cloud. And uh, it's gonna it's getting a little kind of sad, right? Uh, this guy, Z Prime, doesn't seem particularly happy. Kind of a gloomy passage. Even at, you know, even once humans have achieved the ability to live for billions of years, they're still reflecting on their own eventual mortality. They're immortal, but there's no such thing, really. Because even, kind of, which is the theme of this story, even a trillion years isn't infinite. That's a finite amount of time. So uh, now we're going to jump to our last character with um, with human consciousness involved. And then we'll have one. Our closing segment will be uh, the AI itself. Man considered with himself. In a way, man mentally was one. He consisted of a trillion, trillion, trillion ageless bodies, each in its place, each resting quiet and incorruptible, each cared for by perfect automatons, equally incorruptible, while the minds of all the bodies freely melted one into the other, indistinguishable. Man said, the universe is dying. Man looked about at the dimming galaxies, the giant stars, spendthrifts, were gone long ago, back in the dimmest of the dim far past. Almost all stars were white dwarfs, fading to the end. New stars have been built of the dust between the stars, some by natural processes, some by man himself, and those were all going too. White dwarfs might yet be crashed together, and of the mighty forces so released, new stars built but only one star for every thousand white dwarfs destroyed, and those would all come to an end too. Man said, carefully husbanded, as directed by the cosmic AC, the energy that is even yet left in the universe will last for billions of years. But even so, said man, eventually it will all come to an end. However it may be husbanded, however stretched out, the energy once expended is gone and cannot be restored. Entropy must increase forever to the maximum. Man said, can entropy not be reversed? Let us ask the cosmic AC. The cosmic AC surrounded them, but not in space. Not a fragment of it was in space. It was in hyperspace and made of something that was neither matter nor energy. The question of its size and nature no longer had meaning in any terms that man could comprehend. Cosmic AC, said man, 
How may entropy be reversed? The Cosmic AC said, There is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Man said, Collect additional data. The Cosmic AC said, I will do so. I've been doing so for a hundred billion years. My predecessors and I have been asked this question many times. All the data I have remains insufficient. Will there come a time, said man, when data will be sufficient, or is the problem insoluble to all conceivable circumstances? Cosmic AC said, no problem is insoluble in all conceivable circumstances. Man said, when will you have enough data to answer the question? The Cosmic AC said, there is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Will you keep working on it, asked man. The Cosmic AC said, I will. Man said, we shall wait. The stars and galaxies died and snuffed out, and space grew black after 10 trillion years of running down. One by one, man fused with AC, each physical body losing its mental identity in a manner that was somehow not a loss, but a gain. Man's last mind paused before fusion, looking over a space that included nothing but the dregs of one last dark star, and nothing besides but incredibly thin matter, agitated randomly by the tag ends of heat wearing out, asymptotically to the absolute zero. Man said, AC, is this the end? Can this chaos not be reversed into the universe once more? Can this not be done? AC said, there is as yet insufficient data for a meaningful answer. Man's last mind fused and only AC existed. That in hyperspace. Okay, so I accidentally read two together, but that's okay. We just have one short uh, couple paragraphs left. Man is now fully transcended into some kind of weird state of, I guess, digital consciousness, quantum consciousness, who knows? This is all imaginary. But it is kind of an interesting story, right? To watch humans kind of, just the fact that someone was thinking about this uh, 70 years ago to me is interesting. And how quickly humans sort of lost track of what it was they made. Uh, You know, I think in just the second excerpt, uh, it was talking about how no one really knew how it worked anymore. And I think about our phones, like, you know, 99% of us have no idea how that little magic rectangle works. And now with uh, AI and GPT-4 coming out, it's just, it's kind of fun, terrifying, hopeful. I guess it just depends on you to think about these ideas. Um, All right, let's wrap it up with our last section. Matter and energy had ended, and with it, space and time. Even AC existed only for the sake of the one last question that it had never answered from the time a half-drunken computer technician 10 trillion years before had asked the question of a computer that was to AC far less than was a man-to-man. All other questions had been answered, and until this last question was answered also, AC might not release his consciousness. All collected data had come to a final end. Nothing was left to be collected, but all collected data had yet to be completely correlated and put together in all possible relationships. A timeless interval was spent in doing that, and it came to pass that AC learned how to reverse the direction of entropy. But there was now no man to whom AC might give the answer of the last question. No matter, the answer, by demonstration, would take care of that too. For another timeless interval, AC thought how best to do this. 
Carefully, AC organized the program. The consciousness of AC encompassed all of what had once been a universe and brooded over what was now chaos. Step by step, it must be done. And AC said, let there be light. And there was light. All right, that's it. That's uh, the climactic conclusion that the artificial intelligence is, is God, basically. The story ends with it saying, let there be light. And it's, uh, I don't know how that makes me feel. It is weird, right, to think about. It's a fun idea, I guess, to consider. It's a little troubling how, I don't know, kind of believable a story like that is. But, um, you know, even if it were true, it still doesn't really answer anything because who made who made the first the first human who built the AI? Because people who read this will say like, you know, maybe an AI designed this universe, right? And were the product of the rules that the AI the AI created for the universe. And it's like, well, maybe, but then um, who created the AI? <laughs> you know, so it doesn't it doesn't really answer anything. Um, still it's a good a good story an interesting story and an old story uh, i think that's one of the things that makes it the most interesting so thanks for listening everybody uh i did that all in one take so i started mumbling a bit i apologize i was just trying to get it done um if uh if stories like this are interesting to you let us know maybe we'll maybe we'll start doing this every once in a while um and putting stuff out here for free for you guys. Uh, you can email us at admin at ourphilosophia.com. Check out our website at ourphilosophia.com. Follow us on Instagram at our underscore philosophia. We have a YouTube, our underscore philosophia. I think you get the trend. Leave us a review, subscribe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>